Welcome into another edition of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net, and your host for the WSN podcast. We are into the latter stages of January, which means the high school basketball season is rolling along, but also just about getting into that home stretch where conference races are going to be decided, where we're going to start talking about playoffs, we're going to start start talking about seeding, you know, start talking about favorites for the state tournament and state championships. Um, so it's certainly a busy time. The other winter sports are not very far away from playoff action either. In fact, uh, you know, wrestling and uh, hockey start their playoff series a little bit earlier than basketball does. So it's going to be here before we know it, the, the postseason. Today, however, on the WSN podcast, our, offic- our, our uh, focus is going to be on officiating. We're going to talk with a couple great guests, Rich Fraunheiser and Brian Kenny, uh, longtime officials, and uh, get their perspective on some things in the officiating world and, and realm, talk about how they got into officiating, talk about how people can get into officiating if they are interested, um, some of the rule changes that they have seen, some rule changes that they think might be beneficial, talk about that shot clock debate as from a, an, an official's point of view how it would impact them, all that good stuff. Great conversations that we'll have with those two coming up in just a moment on the WSN podcast. Certainly want to take a a moment to remind you to check out everything that's going on at wisports.net. It's it's a busy time of the year. Uh, We've got a regular cadence of uh, of winter sports and and basketball coverage with coaches' polls coming out on Tuesdays and, you know, the, the regular stuff going on. But we've also got uh, Mark Miller just released, uh, you know, kind of a, a a look at the favorites for Mr. Basketball. We'll have midseason um, finalists and, and semifinalists for our senior awards coming out. We'll start to get into some of that uh, playoff preview type stuff as well. So certainly a busy season that you're going to want to check out with Sports.net. If you have not, if you do not have a subscription yet, you're going to want to buy that WSN Extra subscription to get all of that great playoff breakdown from Norbert and uh, Mark as we head into the postseason. And of course, let's help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. A big thank you to the Wisconsin Department of Transportation for sponsoring the WSN podcast. And uh, again, we're going to roll in to our conversations uh, about officiating, about um, you know, rules and, and uh, officials' topics here on the WSN podcast. All right, and time to welcome in our first guest on the WSN podcast for this week as we continue our conversation and, uh, and look into officiating and, and what goes into it and some of the challenges that are out there right now. We'll welcome in Rich Fraunheiser, a longtime official for uh, basketball and football, uh, some other sports as well, has spent some time as a conference commissioner, currently in the Trailways, previously in the Capitol as well, was a uh, AD at Randolph for a year. So a lot of different perspectives that Rich brings to the table. So Rich, appreciate you taking some time to join us here on the WSN podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks, Travis. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit how you got into officiating to begin with. Uh, as you go back, what, what got you into officiating? What uh, sports did you start out with? And you know, kind of how has that evolved over your career? Well, I was a freshman in college uh, in 1987, and uh, my RA 
walked down the hall one day with a striped shirt on. And that intrigued me. So I asked him some questions. And within a week, I was at an association's and as an association meeting. And probably a week later, I was refereeing my first game. And was that basketball that you started out in? It was. Um, yeah, I did. I did nothing but basketball for about five years. And then I added baseball. And then a few years later, I added football. Well, we are uh, we're going to talk a, a lot about officiating today. And again, really interested in your perspective, having worn a, a number of different hats. But let's talk basketball officiating specifically. Um, as you look at the rules that have changed in in recent years, both, you know, gameplay rules as well as you know, the implementation of halves compared to quarters, the different evolution that the game has uh, has gone through over the years. You know, what have you noticed in terms of how that has impacted the game? And is there any of those those rule changes that have been the most impactful? You know, the rules, I think, in basketball, for the most part, have been pretty much the most consistent over the last 30 years. Um, I remember when I started officiating, my my first year was the first year of the three-point line. So um, that kind of dates me away in a way, but um, I, being a first-year official, I had no problem looking down at the feet, making sure that it was a three-point shot, whereas a lot of the veteran officials back then, um, they weren't used to caring where the feet were because they, they didn't have to officiate that. Um, back then, we... You know, we addressed the stall back then with a lack of action rule, which required the team that was losing to press action or get called for a technical foul. Um, that went away. And, you know, so a lot of states now are, are addressing that with a shot clock, which I'm sure you'll ask me about at some point here. Um, but I but I think the change to halves was more administrative um, from an officiating standpoint. We don't have to officiate four last second shot situations. Um you know, there's pluses and minuses to it. Um, I'm not sure four minutes of extra gameplay helps a whole lot of games at the uh, at the high school level, especially at smaller schools and with schools with thinner benches. But, um, you know, that that hasn't really affected us from an officiating level, although I always joke that we're working overtime every night because we're working an extra four minutes that, um, you know, most states are not doing so. Um, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of rules changes though that have uh, that have um, that have really affected basketball. Um, some philosophy changes certainly. Um, some of the automatic fouls that were put into the rules and um, addressing freedom of movement outside so that ball handlers um, aren't getting um, you know hands all over them and body bumped all over the court. I think that's um, that that effort has been uh, worthwhile. We're seeing a lot more freedom of movement. And there's always still work to go on that, but um, I think it's it's gotten better over the last uh, five years or so. As you look forward, and, and we will talk separately, specifically about the shot clock uh, a little bit later, but are there other rule changes that you would like to see implemented in basketball going forward? Um, you know, a lot of officials, a lot of coaches and players, um, like the idea of a restricted arc, um, Minnesota implemented that a number of years ago. Um, I'm ambivalent about it as an official. Um, you know, I always joke that, you know, tell me what the rules are and I'll just, uh, I'll work the game. Um, that's kind of my philosophy about officiating. 
Um, some some people feel that setting up and trying to take a charge under the basket um, with uh, you know somebody who's driving hard is a is a recipe for injury. So, you know, I think that's something that um, it, you know it's something that people are certainly talking about and looking at. Um, some states have implemented it. I don't know if it's on our radar or not, um, but it is something that um, is is part of the college game that. Um, is not part of our game at the high school level here in Wisconsin. You mentioned when you started, there was you know some some rules. The the three point line had just come into effect, and and things have have changed and evolved over the years. If you wouldn't mind, you know, tell us what it was like then in terms of the pay that you received, how you got paid, <laughs> you know, the things that you had to do as an official compared to maybe what things are like now. Everything everything kind of outside of roughing the actual game on the court. Yeah. Um, you know, every state kind of handles officiating differently. Um, you know, now I'm getting games for 2025 and we're not even through 2023 yet. Um, back then we got games at association meetings. I'd show up at a meeting and I get games for the next two weeks and it was a much tighter process. Um, you know, I think I made $30 the first time I officiated a, a varsity game, um, which would have been the early 90s, maybe $35. Um, but, you know, when I started, I was a college student and minimum wage was $3.35 an hour. And I could ref uh, an intramural game and get paid $3.35 for working that hour. Or I could go do a, a middle school game and make $20 or $25. And uh, the comparison was pretty easy to make. Um, in terms of, you know, how things have like evolved, um, I think the biggest evolution around that stuff has been in the last eight to 10 years. Um, when I took over as the Trailways Commissioner, we had just moved from $55 a game to $60 a game, and we were still hiring two officials. And this was uh, almost 10 years ago now. Um, next year we'll pay 85 for three. So it's a, it's a drastic increase, but I would argue that that's because, um, officiating fees stagnated for so long that we had to make some drastic, um, increases just to try to keep up with inflation and try to stem off some of the uh, shortages that we faced. We're talking with Rich Fraunheiser, longtime official, who's also say, uh, served several other roles in high school sports over the years, and uh, want to talk about the the shortages and the challenges of of officiating right now. Certainly, has been a, a very significant point of emphasis and discussion around the state and around the country over the last, especially, couple of years. Here, um, the WIA has has made reference a number of times to the significantly lower number of licensed officials that they've had. Uh, the last couple of years, um, you know, in, in your opinion, based on what you have seen, why is the reason for that? And maybe we'll we'll talk about how we can address it uh, as a separate part of it. But but what are the biggest reasons for officiating shortages over the last couple of years? Um, I would I would bring three things together and they all kind of converged um, at once. Um, number one is the pandemic uh, can't you know, can't ignore the pandemic as a factor. A lot of people got out because of the pandemic, realized they actually didn't miss it as much as they thought they would and didn't come back. Uh, quite a few officials fall under that category. Um, a lot of longtime officials who just decided that they had had enough um, of officiating. Um, the behaviors of people, um, 
mainly spectators. Um, I've seen some really horrific spectator activity the last few years, um, both as a commissioner and as an official. And, um, you know, the number of games, just the, just the sheer number of games that are being played now. Um, the varsity schedule was not too long ago, 20 games. And, you know, the number of youth tournaments and um, travel uh, tournaments, AAU-type tournaments, um, a lot of people are going off and working, you know, six, seven, eight games on a Saturday or a Sunday, you know, making maybe $25 to $35 a game. Um, and for a lot of people, that's more attractive than going and working one varsity game for, you know, 70 to $90. Um, so I think you bring all those three things together and um, we are struggling. Um, you know, and I mentioned the pandemic. I I still like this week, I've, you know, I have an official that's out with COVID this week and it's a, it's still a constant challenge of, of finding replacement officials at last minutes, especially on the, uh, the big game nights, Tuesdays and Fridays. So with those challenges in mind, what are some ways that we can address those issues and get more activity and get more people into officiating and retain more officials moving forward? Um, I would say the first thing is to challenge game administrators, challenge conferences, challenge those who actually can have an impact in the gyms, in their communities, to proactively take care of sportsmanship issues that happen during games. Um, a group of parents get out of line, fans get out of line. We need game administrators to be in the stands, dealing with those issues, and removing people when they cross the line. And I think if that happens more often and happens a bit more aggressively, I think that sends a message to people that um, that kind of behavior is not going to be tolerated. And I think um, because we lose a lot of officials around year two, year three, year four, and it's because they just don't feel like they have that support. They're getting too much uh, stuff from uh, the stands and from maybe from coaches from time to time. So I think that's the first thing. Um, second thing is we have to continue to be aggressive with pay. Um, I don't a lot of people say, well, we don't we don't do this for the money. We do this for the kids. But the truth of the matter is officials have to sacrifice time away from their families. Um, I know personally I'm I'm married. I have a kid. Um, you know, when we go officiate, I leave the house at five o'clock. I might not get back till 10. Um, you know, the game itself might only take an hour and 15 minutes. But, you know, I've worked all day and now I'm working all night as well. And um you know, it's tough to tell, to ask people to, you know, sacrifice their time away from their families to give back to a sport they really love without compensating them in some way. So I've been a real advocate for uh, getting the pay up. And, and finally, we need to figure out who would make the next great group of officials. And one of the ways we do that, I think we get, we get better at that, is we start looking at how we assign our people into games. Um, right now, everybody self-selects their crews, and there are so many veteran officials that simply choose to work with other veteran officials and aren't willing to split their crews up and bring on a newer official who could use that experience, that experienced mentorship at the varsity level. 
So I think the more that we start looking at assigning by individuals and mixing our crews with experienced people and upcoming people, I think that actually will help develop um, some of our next generation of officials. So if somebody is out there and they're they're interested and they're curious about becoming an official, what is the process to become an official? But just as importantly or more importantly, what is the process to become an effective official that goes beyond just paying your fee, getting the rule book and taking the test? Um, number one is joining an association and not just joining any association, but one that has education as a, a serious component of it. Um, so, you know, there's a curriculum, um, there's actual meetings where specific topics are covered, film is watched and reviewed. Um, you know, that's probably the number one thing and be active in the association. Um, be willing to be mentored, um, you know, reach out, make connections with people, ask, uh, ask veteran officials for feedback. You know, most, most, uh, newer officials will work JV or freshman games, you know, don't be afraid to ask for feedback from the varsity official that might have watched you for a few minutes during during your game. Um, and then, um, you know, the thing that I do the most now is I watch film. Um, I worked a game last night and uh, I actually took time this morning to find the stream and go and uh, look at plays during that game to see, you know, how I was positioned. Um, you know, how was my timing, my judgment? Um, all of those things. Um, film is is something that used to be a lot harder to get, but now with games being streamed every night, um, even the JV games are being streamed. So, you know, uh, being able to self-critique and just look for that opportunity to say, hey, I didn't do this that well. Maybe next time I would position myself this way or, or make a call in a certain way. Um, I think those things um, get people better a lot quicker. And then camps and clinics. Um, you know, the WIA has a has approved camps and clinics. Um, a lot of those are held during the off season, during the summer, during a lot of the um, the, the team camps or a lot of the, uh, you know, the summer uh, AAU stuff. Um, those are great because you can get some one on one instruction and you get the uh, experience of working in a three person crew if you haven't done that before. And you can learn a lot over the course of a day or a couple of days. We're continuing our conversation with Rich Fraunheiser talking about officiating. Um, I saw that uh, this week, earlier this week, the playoff assignments came out for basketball. Um, you know, there's there's some questions that 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 get asked often, not just from officials, but coaches and fans and, and spectators. You know, how do you get chosen to ref in the playoffs and how does that process work? Um. Well, that's a good question for uh, Kate Peterson, Abby, I think. But, um, you know, in, in all seriousness, um, there's a lot of elements that go into uh, who gets selected for for what playoff games or for what um, level assignments. Those are all published on the WIA website. So officials have access to a, a document that describes how playoff officials are assigned. But, you know, the, the thing is that in the early rounds, um, a lot of it is still crew based. So for the regionals, um, you typically get assigned with people that you normally work with. Um, whether that's right or wrong, um, that's for a different discussion. Um, when you get to the sectionals and the state tournament, then there's much more of a likelihood that you will be asked to work with people that you may have never worked with before. 
But but the truth of the matter is, if you work the right mechanics, um, you can work pretty much with anybody, um, and you'll have a, a successful game as long as you have a good pregame and and um, you know you work together well. College officials in general work with different people every night, so it's not an unusual thing. Um, I don't know. I it took me a couple of years when I moved to Wisconsin. I've only been here twenty years, um, and it took me three or four years before I started getting playoff games, and. Um, you know, it's just a matter of uh, building a varsity schedule. Um, you have to have 12 games, either girls or boys, to be eligible to to work uh, the playoffs um, for basketball. So, you know, getting those 12 games um, on on both sides so that you're eligible and then getting your uh, playoff uh, eligibility in. I know they look at other things. They look at your test score. They look at your ratings. They look at whether you've been to a camp in the last few years. Um, they look at whether there's a picture of you on your profile because it's hard to rate somebody as an official for a coach or an athletic director if um, all you have is a name and a number and you don't have a face to put it up against. So they look at a lot of different factors and then they try to, um, you know, assign a lot of games. Um, and uh, I know that some of those days, especially the Fridays of regionals where there there are the absolute most games, um, it's hard to uh it's hard to get those games assigned. So uh, it's a task that is is very difficult. And I, I I respect the fact that it's a very difficult task. Way more games than I have to assign. <laughs> right. Um, you mentioned a little earlier about uh, officials sometimes seeing more value or seeing more money, quite honestly, refing the non-WIAA events, youth tournaments, AAU tournaments, whatever it might be, uh, as opposed to refing uh, WIA events. Um, do you see it often where guys and, and, and women will not ref or very rarely ref WIA certified uh, high school events and just focus on some of that weekend stuff? Um, there's a, a subset of people that do that. Sure. Um, I, I would think most officials are doing both. Um, but you know, a lot of officials may decide on a Saturday to not work a high school game and do a bunch of uh, a bunch of youth games um, just because they can work. You know, just um, you can work four games and make like one hundred and twenty hundred and forty dollars and, uh, you know, be out of there in four hours. And, yeah, you're going to get probably get some grief from some parents, but it's it's relatively low stress compared to games at the varsity level, I would think. Um, and I, I say that from. A, my memory, because to be honest, I don't do those anymore. Um, yeah, part of the fat problem is that my knees can't handle that anymore. Um, you know, working four games in a row. So, um, but a lot of people do do that. I see the same thing in other sports, um, travel, softball, uh, uh, travel, baseball tournaments. Um, part of the challenge with the shortage we have now is there are just so many more games than there were even 10 years ago. Um, you know, these travel basketball, these basketball tournaments, um, you see kids sometimes playing three, four games in a tournament. And it's, uh, you know, it's just so much, so many games that that have to be covered at, at all these different sports that um, we may have the same number of officials or close to it that we had 10 years ago, but they're being asked to do a lot more. And it's causing a lot of gaps in our in our assigning processes. You and I are are not necessarily perhaps the right people to, you know, really dig into this issue. But I want to ask you as as somebody that 
you know, has held many different hats within high school athletics. Um, I, I am always extremely disappointed to see the very, very low number of female officials out there, especially in a sport like basketball, which has very high female participation. Um, you know, what, what do you attribute that to? And, and what, is there anything that, that we can try to do all of us in the basketball community to try to address that specific issue of low uh, numbers of female officials? Um, I think that it, it's as the uh, father of an 18 year old daughter who I've umpired with, um, I think I wish we had hundreds of more female officials. I wish we could reach all of the players that we officiate and get them out on the court uh, working games. It's uh, I, I think a lot of it's inertia. Um, most of the officials are men. It's it's very it's very tough to stem the tide of that. Um, it doesn't feel like a very inclusive environment for for women coming in um and uh, uh for various reasons um you know it's uh, a lot of schools you go to they're not equipped to uh have a female official like have a have a separate locker room for a female official so you end up having to you know step out so they can change and then step back in when they're done changing and and it's it it just doesn't feel like we're equipped for it in in a lot of different ways. The truth of the matter is, as an assigner, I'll hire anybody that can officiate. I hired three, um, an all-female crew to work a boys' conference varsity game probably four or five years ago. Um, none of that matters to me. Uh, one of the best officials I've ever worked with in the state is female, and she's probably going to do really great things in the next 10 years um, at the college level. So... I want to I want to be able to reach some of these these females and and we need to start focusing on the ones that are playing now and get them to come in in groups. I think if if we can get like somebody and their friend to come together and welcome them into associations, um, I uh, I think we'll be more successful. I worked a boys varsity game last week with a female official. It was her first varsity game that she ever worked. And she did an amazing job and uh, she sticks with it. She'll have a, she'll have a great experience and a great career and great opportunities. Um, but, but the question is, you know, how do we get more of them? Absolutely. Um, before we let you go, I do want to ask, especially with your, uh, again, uh, viewpoint from, from different positions that you hold and have held about the shot clock, which has been a, uh, a topic of conversation, especially increasingly the last couple of years as uh, more states have adopted it. And, uh, you know, we went through the whole debate a couple of years ago that um, was passed, then rescinded. And I think that whole process set set everything back a few years. Um, as an official, how does the shot clock impact your job? Um, you know, like I said earlier, tell me what rule set we're going to follow and I will happily follow them. But I, I know that's not interesting. So I will say that I've thought a lot about the shot clock um, as an official the last few years. Um, I'll tell you what my thoughts are as kind of as an administrator in a little bit. Um, as an official, I actually would prefer the shot clock to be in, involved in our games, but probably for a different reason than a lot of other people. 
Um, I think it would improve end of game situations. I think it would require a little more thought about uh, just fouling at the end of games. Um, teams may decide to, you know, try to play tough defense and work the shot clock and get the ball back. Um, whereas right now they may just go right in and foul. And I think it might improve end of game situations as an official. Um, I, I think though that, you know, if you look at shot percentages um, in, in some of the games, uh, they're, they're already low. So if teams are being pressured to shoot at the end of 35 second shot clocks, how will that affect the game? Um, I worked a lot of junior college ball when the, uh, uh, the Wisconsin conference was, was um, more of a thing. And uh, we'd only get to the end of the shot clock, maybe once or twice a game. It, it really didn't have a big effect on individual possessions, but I think it would help at end of game situations. Um, as an administrator, um, our conference voted unanimously to reject the shot clock when it went around the last time. Um, every every athletic director, superintendent voted no for it. Um, I, I I do think that an aspect of that was it was it was pushed on us without really uh, allowing for uh, school uh, input. And it doesn't surprise me at all right now that larger schools are in favor of it and smaller schools are against it. Um, I think it's a resource issue, not just the cost of implementing, uh, installing the shot clock, but the idea also of, of, uh, of having somebody to run the shot clock. As an athletic director, one of the challenges I had every game was having enough game workers. And now you are adding a dedicated game worker who is very important because if you have a bad clock operator or a bad shot clock operator, it affects the game itself. So I, I think um, bigger schools probably feel like they could absorb that better. Um, smaller schools may not. And, uh, you know, so it doesn't surprise me. You mentioned those uh, games at the WCC. Uh, you roughed a few of my games back in the day when I was the head coach at UW Richland. I don't think you gave me a technical. I think I got maybe three in my three years. I don't think one from you, but um, nah. as an as an aside, uh, I just continue to to be disappointed and miss the fact that that conference uh, has gone away and many of the schools have shuttered their athletic programs uh, completely. Um, and again, with with you having uh, officiated there. Um, you know, just, just an aside, uh, from that perspective. So I, I agree. My daughter's, uh, my daughter's actually going to play at a two-year school. Um, she got a scholarship to play softball at a two-year school and, uh, it's, it's just a great opportunity to get a lot of playing time and, uh, um, you know, not just a lot of playing time, but also kind of help, uh, set her up for not having a lot of student debt. So those schools are just so incredibly important and, Having athletic programs, I think, really drives some of the, you know, I, we see what's happening with UW Richland. Uh, having athletic programs certainly is an incentive to get students to go to those campuses. Well, Rich, we definitely appreciate your time uh, today. Again, uh, great perspective as an official, uh, a veteran official here in the state of Wisconsin, but also with your experience as a conference commissioner and as an athletic director at the high school level. Really appreciate you, uh, appreciate you coming on and, uh, and giving us a, a little bit more insight into officiating and, and how it works kind of behind the curtain. Um, you know, we, we certainly encourage people 
to get into officiating. We encourage people to be respectful of officials that are out there, um, myself included, as I uh, as I ref a few games here and there every year. So uh, again, thanks for coming on, and I'm sure we'll uh, we'll catch up down the road. Hey, thanks for having me, Travis. And if anybody wants to get into officiating or is even curious about it, you can always reach out to me. I'd, I'd be happy to talk to you on the phone or, or you know, converse with you about that and just kind of point you in the right direction. All right, there you go. Thanks again to Rich for joining us on the WSN podcast as we took a look at a number of angles and, and items related to officiating. Let's also take a chance to remind you to help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Well, let's keep rolling along. We're going to roll into our next interview. Our next guest is we're going to welcome in Brian Kenny to talk officiating. Let's get going with that conversation. As we continue our conversation on officiating here on this week's WSN Minute, we'll bring in our next guest to get his perspective on some of the uh, issues facing officiating, some of the uh, items uh, on the the agenda and on the uh, you know the mind of a lot of people when it comes to to rules and, and different things, especially as it relates to basketball. Brian Kenny uh, from Wisconsin Dells, a football and basketball official who has done state tournaments, has done college uh, level games, has done a lot uh, of of uh, officiating around the state of Wisconsin. Brian, appreciate you joining us here on the uh, WSN podcast. Yeah, thanks, Travis. I'm excited to be here and always nice to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart. And I love officiating and love the opportunities it gives me as, you know, a a person who loves the games of football and basketball and gives me a chance to stay active and be on the field Friday nights and be in a gym on whatever nights they're playing. seems like it's every night, but Wednesday now. So <laughs> thanks so much. Well, uh, before we dive into some of that stuff, just give us a little bit on your background, how you got into officiating to begin with and, and kind of what that, that path and process has been like for you as an official. Sure. I grew up in Milwaukee and, uh, my dad was a football and basketball official, so I I was lucky uh, that I had, you know, a natural mentor. So my dad would take me to games, and I remember being on the sidelines for football games and uh, being in the gym watching basketball games and just paying attention to what my dad was doing. And when I got old enough, uh, my freshman year in college, my dad approached me and said, hey, let's start doing some church league basketball together. You know, three games in the morning, take a break for lunch, and then three more in the afternoon. What do you say? And I, I was a college student, so, you know, back then it was $15 an hour cash, and that was good money. You know, back in the 90s when I was a college student in between 1990 and 95, and um, my dad taught me how to ref. And from there, it just led to more curiosity about, what's this like to do JV basketball games? And uh, I remember, you know, going to watch the varsity game and talking to the officials, you know, being asked to go in the locker room, which is really cool to hear what they talk about and just follow in their footsteps. And I started to do JV games and, and then I joined an association, which is really important in Wisconsin um, to just be an active member of an association. So you can get, you know, all the, professional development and learning and meet officials 
and network and collaborate, which is valuable in anything you do in life. And people were like, well, you should look into college basketball. And uh, I started going to camps and clinics in the mid nineties and uh, got my opportunity to work women's college basketball. Um, one of my probably most notable mentors was Mark Braden. Um, he was a dentist in Lake Geneva and he came up to me and said, Hey, I'd like to hire you in women's college basketball. And I, I was grateful and he taught me a lot of things. And, uh, ever since then I've, you know, really worked hard, had a lot of goals, uh, to, you know, work postseason conference tournaments, um, NCAA tournaments in 2011, I was fortunate to be asked to do the final four for division three. And that was a, a bucket list. And, and then after that, I started really developing a strong passion for helping others and realizing how important it was to give people the chances that I got through my father uh, to really just fall in love with officiating. And now my number one goal is I'm the president of our officials association, the Wisconsin River Officials Association, the WROA, and uh, we we're doing some really good things. Uh, to support officials, um, I think officials really need support, and they need a lot of uh, time invested in young people uh, to mentor them. Um, I'm really grateful to Randy Gillen, the athletic director at Mauston High School. Um, he's listened to my idea um, about trying to develop a talent pool uh, for three-person officiating, because that's a big jump to go from working two person in all your youth games and your JV games and your freshman games and C squad and varsity reserve to then having to have a third official on the floor. And how do we do this? And, uh, Randy was open-minded to doing the two plus one program, which involves, uh, two newer officials that have done maybe some lower level sub varsity games and, uh, he allows us to have three officials on the JV games and pays all three refs. And we have one veteran that will choose to not do a varsity game that night and instead uh, works that JV game with the two, or, the two newer officials. And hence the, the concept two plus one, we look at it as a kind of a, an apprenticeship program. And once, you know, officials finish that program, they're ready to start networking to go into their, you know, varsity level games. And we had two officials that did that program this year. And both of them are, you know, game ready now for going out and working varsity basketball. And so many needs right now for officials to fill holes. People get hurt. They get injured. Uh, officials retire, uh, move, change jobs. And it's just a constant evolution. And we have to be invested in the pipeline of talent, just like a, uh, a varsity coach is interested in what's going on in their youth program, uh, because that's your talent pipeline and you want to support that. So that's kind of my story and football is the same way. I'm super passionate about helping younger officials. And I try to do clinics. Um, I have an officiating camp that I do for basketball in Marshfield called the three zebras officials camp that started in 1998 in Wausau and moved um, to just the game field house uh, for about 10 years. And I developed a really good relationship with Mark Miller. And I really like how 
organized Mark is with his tournaments. And Marshfield was a really good central location to run an officials camp. And um, uh, Chris Fisher, their varsity coach, um, and Joe from Marshfield Columbus are great to work with. And uh, Nate Delaney give us great facilities. And we do a lot of video analysis at camps. Um, we support officials with a referee development plan, which allows us to hook up uh, veteran clinicians at the camp with younger officials across the state. And if somebody lives in Appleton um, and the clinician lives in lacrosse, they're going to know somebody in Appleton that can help that official. Uh, we remember their birthdays. We remember the first varsity game they did. We'll call them, cheer them on, listen to them talk about how they struggle with handling game management or a coach yelled at them or, and we just are there to be a sounding board for them. And that's what we need in the game right now is the supporting one another and being cheerleaders and uh, focusing on helping people get wherever they want to go. And that's, that's what I'm committed to now. So I love my football crew. We have all five of us just love being with each other on Friday nights. And it's a, uh, it's like going to a Friday night, you know, movie with your family or going to a fish fry. Um, instead we're, we're going to a field somewhere to have fun doing what we love doing. And it's, it's, it's a great feeling uh, to be around your, your football crew and uh, see other football crews and officiating has become a fraternity and a sorority uh, for men and women across Wisconsin. So I, I love it. Well, as you have uh, advanced through your career, certainly there have been rule changes. There have been, just changes in the game, how it's played, how it's officiated. And and let's focus specifically on basketball because that's the season that we're in, of course, right now. You know, how has the game changed since you started officiating? And are there any specific rule changes that have really had an impact over that time? I think probably the biggest one that really evolved was when I first started officiating basketball, the putting hands on a point guard uh, or a forearm or, you know, an, an elbow or anything to try to steer them or reroute them. It was only a foul if it involved uh, inhibiting that point guard from going, you know, from A to B or whatever direction they wanted to go. And in women's college basketball, they brought in the, the hand check rule uh, where you're allowed to measure up with the offensive player who's, you know, a guard, a dribbler, ball handler, and anything beyond measuring up was a foul. Uh, so that became a point of emphasis. And in, in officiating, we have um, our, our non-negotiable type fouls, which are always the points of emphasis. And the Federation comes out with those. And hand checking has really been one that has been a staple uh, throughout the years. And officials see a lot of plays, a lot of video on, you know, hand checks, um, arm bars. Uh, probably another one that has been a good one for the game has been um, displacement, adding the word displacement to the, uh, the rule book language. So especially in the post, if a player is, uh, an offensive player is entitled to freedom of movement 
throughout the lane, throughout the perimeter. Um, officials refer to that as um, RSBQ. So rhythm, speed, balance, quickness. So any player who's RSPQ is disrupted by displacement. We need to have uh, some categories and hoppers to put that in. So if you put two hands on a, a post player and you extend and dislodge them from the position that they're trying to occupy, um, you know, that, that is a foul um, in, in our game. And I think the hand check, um, the displacement, and more, more expansion of the intentional follow rule. The intentional follow rule used to be, um, when I started officiating, it was you know only on breakaways where somebody um, put two hands on somebody and um, shoved them with two hands or grabbed the player's jersey with two hands. And now the intentional follow rule has really become expanded where it's, it's any play where there's intent uh, to do things to that are not normal and part of the game. Um, sometimes it involves, you know, intentionally trying to prevent the clock from starting by uh, grabbing onto a player's jersey or restricting them uh, or holding them. And sometimes it can involve um, a player breaking away and there's enough contact where their normal path from A to B is disrupted. Um, we're supported with you know, calling those intentional fouls now. And probably lastly, and this is a one that I'm, I'm glad that we're getting more focus on is um, defenders establishing legal guarding position and in officiating it's, it's really important that we referee the defense and think like the offense. So if we referee the defense, we're going to know if the defender got legal by rule and then if they maintain that legality throughout the play. And I think there's been more emphasis on not punishing good defense. So if a player has both feet on the floor and they're facing their opponent, uh, they're considered to be in legal guarding position and then they can move laterally. They can move obliquely, so up and down, and they can move backwards to absorb any potential displacement from the offense. They just can't move into the path of an airborne shooter. Uh, so when a player gathers and they become airborne, the defender cannot move into the path of the shooter. So with that being said, I think we're seeing more um, officials knowing that a defender has gotten legal and maintain that legality. And um, we're seeing more offensive fouls being called because we're refereeing the defense and we're seeing that defender get legal, especially secondary defenders that are helping. Um, so if the primary defender gets beat and the play is going to end up in the paint, um, we're really focusing on trying to teach our lead officials to watch that secondary defender come over and support and potentially get legal and maintain that legality to take a charge. And I think those four areas have really been things that have stood out for me in our game um, as ways that we've evolved. And of course, travels. 
Um, you know, we're seeing the step through move, um, the Euro step, uh, the spin move, um, the shoot, the shooters hop where the shooter wants to take a three realizes that they're in front of the three point line and they potentially want that three. So they take that extra, you know, hop to get behind the three point line. And we have to be able to find the pivot foot and know the jump stop rules. Uh, when a player jumps off one foot, lands on two, jumps off two feet, lands on one, and then steps with another. Um, we need to know when a player makes a spin move, if they replant their pivot foot, we need to, to know when they gathered the ball. Um, so we're putting a lot of emphasis on travels that are giving the, the offense an advantage. Um, I think that would be uh, a good fifth one to add as well. So those are the, the things that have evolved and changed over the course of your time as an official. Going forward, what are some things that you would like to see, some rule changes, points of emphasis that you think would be helpful for the game of basketball? Well, I know that um, we just did a podcast with um, Jason Nickleby from Minnesota, and Jason um, is very involved with the Federation and uh, suggesting, you know, potential rule changes that, you know, would really benefit the players on the floor in particular and make the game really safe. And one of those is the restricted area um, for secondary defenders. And uh, Minnesota has gathered some data uh, from their postseason on has the secondary defender restricted area um, addition prevented a lot of safety you know, crashes underneath the basket and, and they have, you know, evidence to support that the restricted area is uh, preventing players who might want to drive, you know, into the lane and initiate illegal contact with defenders to not do that because they know that they're going to get called for a charge uh, when they do so. So I think that would be uh, a really good um, rule for us to, to add to our game. Um, the other one that um, a lot of officials and uh, coaches are talking about is um, potentially moving back the three-point line uh, to potentially allow for more, uh, more play at the elbow, uh, potentially adding in more post play. Um, that would be another one that would be interesting to see um, how that would work. And then, of course, we always talk about the shot clock and how the shot clock uh, would would impact the game. And the big questions there are, you know, finding the table workers uh, to work the shot clock, uh, training the officials on the administration of, you know, when is a reset, you know, when is it not a reset, um, and and then making sure that the players understand all of those things as well. Um, I know Minnesota is adding the shot clock this year. So I think the restricted area would be a good uh, addition for us because it would involve little to no cost. And there could be a lot of guidance put out to the officials about what is a secondary defender? You know, what, what do they have to do to uh, follow the rules of being in the restricted area and uh, sh share some 
some video clips and associations could gather a lot of clips from college games because the college game um, on the men's and women's side has been used in the restricted area for a um, couple years now. Uh, so it would be a pretty easy rule to streamline. And we know that some other states are doing it. Um, I think that would help our game a lot. As we continue to move forward, one of the uh, the, the big topics, of course, is official shortages. Uh, we've got about five minutes left on the podcast for today, and we're not going to solve all of these issues right now. But give us some bullet point topics that you think could help address officiating shortages here in Wisconsin and around the country. Well, I have I have a 13 year old um, and, and he started getting into officiating when he was 11. And I think if we can, if we can connect with middle school students in particular, uh, and and get them really excited and interested in officiating, they don't have much on their radar in terms of things beyond school and beyond their extracurricular activities and and playing outside or playing inside or and just being a kid. If we can maybe get some middle school kids excited about officiating and hook them up with some mentors, you know, that could be their job when they get into high school. I think about my own 13 year old, uh, he's an independent contractor. Uh, if he's, you know, got a heavy dose of cross country running in the summer, and he's got to do all these things to be a really good cross country runner, he can build his own schedule around his need to commit to his sports and kind of have his cake and eat it too. And that's, and you, you know, on average, a, a youth official in Wisconsin is going to make about $30 an hour. I don't know too many employers that are going to pay a 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old $30 an hour. Um, I mean, you really see kids develop their confidence. Uh, they're involved in the game that they love, and it gives them something that they can do when they get to college. Uh, to generate some revenue, exercise, um, have fun, collaborate, network. I think that's something we need to be, be doing more. I also would really love to see us develop more networks with the UW system recreation programs. Every UW system has somebody in charge of uh, rec sports. For example, uh, Bailey Kenny. Um, is at UW-Madison. I know I know that because Bailey's a women's college official and he just moved to Wisconsin uh, to take that job. Um, and, and really develop some really strong networks to support intramural officials uh, who are learning that, you know, art of being an intramural official on campus and then helping them transition into high school basketball officiating and youth basketball officiating. And we just need to do a better job of uh, recruiting, developing that talent pool, supporting the talent pool with mentoring and uh, creating some learning platforms where people can grow because people will resist doing something because they, they lack knowledge. Uh, they lack the connection. And they lack the support. So if we can do those things better, uh, then I think we're just going to 
you know, be able to have our talent pool, just like a sports team can't function without their youth program and without their, you know, their, their freshman team, their JV team, their C squad, we have to do the same things in officiating and, and figure out how to get people connected to, to games. And every week, um, my email just gets blown up with, uh, youth tournament needs officials this weekend, uh, need a JV game filled, need a varsity game filled. Uh, it's, it's endless. So, but if people don't know who to contact and who's going to support them, then they're, we're not going to be able to fill those, those slots. So I think associations are, um, handing out little business cards with their QR code, scan this QR code, become a member of our association. We'll support you. Um, we'll, we'll do what we can to help you. We'll get you connected. Um, I know the WIA is doing a great job, not charging, um, officiating, uh, dues for, uh, kids that are in high school. Um, they're recruiting, you know, veterans, uh, military veterans. We need to know who's moving into our state. Uh, I know of at least four officials that just moved into Wisconsin, um, this year. And, um, when we can find out how to support them, the, that's a great thing for us, um, because we know we're going to lose some people too that are going to move away. So I think just geographically, we just need to do a, a really good job collaborating. And some of those things that I shared, I think are going to be really good things. A big thank you to Brian Kenny and to Rich Fraunheiser for joining us today on the WSN podcast. If you're interested in officiating, if you're wanting to get into it, uh, certainly the the first stop you're going to want to make is the WIA website. There's an officials tab there that will uh, help you get licensed, first of all, that will have resources for you. Uh, you can order your um, your rule books, case books, all that good stuff that you're going to need from there. But then, really, to, to become an effective official, as we talked about with Rich and Brian, you're going to want to join an officials association that will help you find games. You know, certainly recommend reaching out to schools in your area, let them know that you're uh, interested and available in officiating um, any youth organizations in your area, reach out to them. They're always looking for officials for youth tournaments and leagues and, and camps and, and all that good stuff that goes on throughout the year. Uh, certainly want to spend some time, you know, on the internet. There are great resources available, whether it's videos, rules, videos, instructional videos, um, you know, things about positioning and, uh, area of responsibility and, and coverage areas and all that good stuff. You can find some great resources online. But again, check out the WI website to get licensed. Find a local officials association. Those officials associations are linked on the WIAA website as well so that you can go through that process. And, and as both uh, Brian and Rich talked about at different times, it, it never hurts to find somebody that is already officiating that can be a bit of a mentor to help you learn to help you grow, to help you um, find the right people to contact and, and the things that you'll need, even things as simple as equipment. You know, what shirt do you need? Where can you get it? What uh, equipment do you need for the sport that you're interested in officiating in? There is a little bit of an investment right away. You know, you'll spend a couple hundred dollars getting the, the right stuff. Um, but once you do, then you can be off and running. And there are people that will help with secondhand equipment and, um, you know, 
gear, shirts, uh, all that good stuff. There are uh, many of those officials associations have opportunities for uh, for helping young officials get equipment, get gear to get going, um, so that you know it you can get into officiating. It, it's it can be a little bit of a daunting task to break into. It can be a little bit of a daunting task to you know kind of survive the first year or two, um, but it is certainly very rewarding. I have officiated uh, since I was 14 or 15, started doing youth stuff, um, have officiated as a licensed WIA official for many, many years. I've done football, baseball, softball, certainly basketball as a WIA licensed official. Last year, I was able to, to help out and pick up probably 15 games or so, um, anywhere from middle school to a couple varsity games that I did as well. This year, uh, my, my son's a freshman. He plays almost every Tuesday and Friday. Have had fewer opportunities to uh, to officiate, but do have a few games on the schedule. I did a, a, a freshman game here in Reedsburg, girls game a couple weeks ago. I've got a, a couple more things coming up. Um, very much would would love to do it a little bit more if uh, if our schedule is a little bit more clear. But with a, a freshman, with a sixth grader that I'm coaching, uh, just don't have quite the time that I would like to invest in in officiating. But it is I, I enjoy it a lot. Um, it keeps you involved in the game and, uh, and, and, you know, being able to give back as well. So that will do it for today on the WSN podcast. Before we wrap up, though, again, let's help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. We're in the grips of winter here in the state of Wisconsin. We have had a few days with some cancellations, some delays. Certainly, as you're traveling to these games towards the end of the season and into the postseason for winter sports, please do so safely. Please travel carefully on the uh, icy and snow-covered roads that we have sometimes. Certainly, be uh, cognizant of uh, what you're doing in terms of phone use and and distractions. Make sure you're wearing that seatbelt so that everybody can come home safely. That will do it for today on the WSN Podcast. However, thanks to uh, Brian Kenny, Rich Fraunheiser for coming on to talk about officiating. This has been a WISports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson. We'll see you at a game. <laughs>